I could dance for you, couldn't I, at this point? Do it, Theresa May. Well, it takes longer for this song to start singing than I realise. All together, old people, I don't know this song, old people sing. Those that remember it. Barbara's pretty, oh, Barbara's giving in, she's singing. We can kill it there. Oh, I know. Wait for it, you're going to be able to sing in a minute. Here we go. Alright, kill it now. I'm bored. It's old people music. <laughs> Protesting only confirms things. You're supposed to not know the words if you're young. I can actually genuinely say I didn't know the words. Otherwise I wouldn't have picked that song because I didn't look I thought I thought she came in on chain reaction. Oh, there you go. This morning I'm going to talk about chain reactions. It's Palm Sunday. Uh, welcome to Hope House Church. If you're not used to Hope House Church, um, that's just how we are, take it or leave it. This is, us. This is what God's doing. We're trying to do a normal church. We're trying to do a real people church. Trying to be, we want to be God-centered, but we don't want to be over-religious. We just want to be real, connected to all that God is doing. So this is Palm Sunday. It's that, that week where we wave palms about, but we haven't got any palms. We kind of wave and cheer Jesus on as he enters Jerusalem just before the Easter story begins, and I'm going to be talking about the Easter story. Normally I begin with some connected to our real lives kind of story to engage us. Um, I've got a couple of real life stories that I'm going to drop into the middle of the sermon a little bit later, but I did want us to talk about chain reactions first of all. Who remembers that song, Chain Reaction? Your Steps version. You see, that's where I'm falling down. Steps were so appallingly bad, I avoided them. And Chain Reaction is just so old, I'd barely heard of it. Wasn't it a 70s song, Chain Reaction? It was Diana Ross. Yeah, but Diana Ross is like 800 years old. She's like... It's an 80s... Oh, really wound you up, haven't I? <laughs> okay. See, those of us that are young at heart, I, I was a bit more kind of heavy rock in the 80s. I was listening to something, so I'm afraid Diana Ross passed me by. <laughs> I'm so sorry for all the people that now don't talk to me <laughs> because I think that you're old. <laughs> In the middle of a chain reaction. Yeah, a chain reaction where one thing leads to another, like you play a song and you offend everybody. Um, it's a <laughs> 85. Wow, I thought it was like a 1970s kind of song. Like, you see, I was like getting old. I was like first becoming a Christian in, 80, well, in 85. I was kind of really working out who God was, so I only, I only, I only sang hymns. Wesley was my hero. Um, I, I just... I threw away all my rock albums and my meatloaf and all that kind of stuff and, and, and just like, I've had to buy them all again now on download. <laughs> One thing leads to another, a chain reaction. Um, 
nuclear power stations don't want to have chain reactions. Well, they do want chain reactions, but they want contained chain reactions, because otherwise they go bang. But one thing leads to another. Has anybody ever said something, and before you know it, it's kind of out there, it's changed everything. You walk into a room and you make a statement, and suddenly it's all out there, and one thing leads to another. You, you, you tell a little story, and by the time it gets down the line, it's like Chinese whispers, everybody knows it's, it's grown out of all proportion. Things get out of hand. Chain reactions. There are chain reactions. One thing leads to another. There are events in our lives that are created by a moment in time. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at three aspects of that. Two of them that we don't want. One of them that we do. So we're talking um, literally chain reactions this morning. But we want to break a few chains this morning as well. We want to break a few uh, fantasies. We want to break a few lies. And we want to get right down into the heart of God's favor. So the first thing I want to talk about this morning is unthinkable fantasies. Okay, so um, the unthinkable fantasy, the land of make-believe. The land of make-believe. See, so often we have this idea of how it could be, it should be, what we want, what we desire, how we wish things were. And we build up this picture of the perfect scenario for ourselves. We, we, oh, that's what we want. And we get so convinced it's the right thing. Um, and even though the motive behind it may be right, we so pursue something, we get it completely wrong. The chain reaction we kick off is we try to get the thing that we want messes up. And so I want to give an example of that from Scripture, uh, this unthinkable fantasy. And uh, I'm not going to put it up there. Um, I'm, I'm going to read it out to you because it says that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So I'm going to read it to you. Okay? Is that all right? If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 36. And you can pretend that you're reading your Bible now while you're texting and checking out Facebook and all that kind of thing. If you've got it electronically. So Luke chapter 19, verse 36 and to verse 40, says this. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. So the background to this is Jesus is entering Jerusalem. We're beginning that Easter period that we celebrate. And he's riding on the donkey that he's, that he's being fetched. That's highly symbolic. Um, when a king entered a city that they were going to capture, they would ride on in a donkey to demonstrate they were coming in peace, that they came to connect and to engage. This is highly significant. We don't do much of that stuff these days. It's not kind of how we, we, we work. It's a long time since I've ridden a donkey into Barnsley. Um, which not, but in then, it was a powerful political, spiritual statement. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the roads. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd, they're the religious leaders uh, in the crowd, said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, when I was in Sunday school, this story always had pictures of hundreds of people waving big, big all these thrones and throwing them on the floor, putting the cloaks on the floor to give Jesus this amazing entry. You know, you, know, you see these uh, when the Beatles get off the aeroplane in America and that old footage, and everybody's screaming and fainting. And um, It's a little bit like when I get home and the family are all overwhelmed and screaming, welcome me home, and that fell on deaf ears, tumbleweed. That desperation, 
for Jesus' presence, for the coming king. And the people wanted a coming king. They'd build up in their mind what this king Jesus would be. And they decided who Jesus was. They decided who he was. And they would welcome him as a king. And they would make him king. The king that they wanted. The people wanted their king that they would make. The people, you see, a glimpse to truth that Jesus was king. But what they wanted was their version of him. So there was high emotion and, and a huge reaction. Has anybody ever been in a crowd where everybody's cheering and you get whipped along and you don't quite know what you're cheering about? Has anybody ever done that? I once went to a football match. <laughs> and everybody, yeah. And everybody was, oh, yeah. And I'm thinking, yeah, with them. And I'm thinking, I am so bored. And yet somehow when the crowd gets all excited and begins to shout and cheer, it doesn't matter what you're watching, you feel excited and begin to shout and cheer. And I've told this story before, but Julie and I were talking about it with some friends last week and, and it's always coming back into my mind when I'm in times of worship. Julie and I once went to the most powerful time of worship in the city hall. Hundreds of us, a couple of thousand of us gathered and amazing musicians on the stage at Sheffield City Hall and we were lost in worship. Our eyes were closed, our arms were raised, we were singing and feeling all the emotion of the words and then I remembered it was a beautiful South concert and stopped. Because the emotion, being whipped along with the emotion of the worship of the song and the words, we were making a God in our own image. We decided what we wanted God to be, what wanted the king to be. I've got to tell you, Julie, it was authentic worship, wasn't it? The people there. And when I looked around, I was a bit shocked. I thought, hey, that's what we do in church. Stop it. We raise our hands in church. It's funny that, isn't it? Because 20, a few decades ago, you don't raise your hands in church. That's right. Now we raise our hands in church. Hey, you're jigging about. We do that in church. Stop it. You've got your eyes closed. Stop it. People were crying. How dare you? We deserve that for Jesus. So people were in a concert worshipping because they were making a king. They were making a God in the image that they wanted and they were reacting in worship. You know, that, that's the reality. They didn't, they didn't know the Lord as their saviour. They didn't know Jesus Christ. So you, we, we have to worship something. So we create something to worship. It doesn't make them bad people. It just means it's people that haven't yet seen who Jesus actually is. It's important to remember that. When we see people doing these things, when we see the lost, fundamentally it means they haven't come face to face with who Jesus really is yet. Great phrase I picked up last week. Um, it's not that they don't believe anything. They just don't believe very much. We just have found something bigger and more to believe in Jesus. And we need to show them that there's more to believe. But we can't make the king in our own image. And these people crowding down, waving their throngs about, throwing coats and floors to welcome Jesus, they decided they wanted a political king. They wanted a conqueror, somebody that would lead them to a type of military victory, a transformation politically. It's what I want. That's what they were doing. There's a standing ovation for Jesus. And Jesus deserves it. And even he says, well, if they don't sing, the stones will cry out because I am actually the king. So there's some truth at the heart of this fantasy, this unthinkable fantasy. Anybody here ever fantasize and dream of how things could be? Yeah, bits of your life you'd love to change. I mean, keep it, you know, nice, keep it clean. I, lo I love to imagine. I love to imagine what I would have been. 
Actually, I mean, it, there's no doubt at all the Formula One world has massively missed out without having me driving. Williams Formula One would be still top of the pile Formula One world champions if only they'd give me the call. That, that would be, as a kid, that was my dream. And me and Robert would sit with the scale electric set. You know, I mean, all right, he was, he was four, but, you know, he still needed to be beaten. He needed to learn about the realities of life. Just because I'm an adult with more, you know, skills and... You know what, son, you lose at life sometimes. It doesn't hurt you to lose to your dad. We meant it. <laughs> Especially when it made me have the Michael Schumacher car. So we'd tape record the Formula One in the afternoon. And then we'd play Murray Walker on the tape recorder, full blast. Fisher-Price, best. And we'd race the cars round, reenacting the race with Murray Walker commentating in the background, me being Schumacher and Robert being Damon Hill, which is why I won all the time. <laughs> and we relived the dream. It was a little fantasy. It was a little false world. But it was great fun, wasn't it? It was great fun. I loved all that. Why did you grow up? I ruined it. <laughs> but it was just a fantasy. It's a moment in time that we can't keep. And then I discover something else as we look further into Scripture. There's the impossible reality. There's the impossible reality. When life only throws us impossible options. So we have a fantasy and we imagine and try to make Jesus into something that we want him to be rather than who he is. But then there's the, there's the impossible reality. So this thing that we've created, an incredible thing happens over this Christmas, over this Easter week when Jesus is arrested. So the fantasy actually becomes impossible. The reality is impossible future. Let me read you what Scripture says about this. Jesus, this is the people's king, is arrested. And he's arrested largely because of the fear of the politics involved. So the very thing the people tried to make him is the very thing that caused the problem. Luke 23, verse 14. Um, and this is Pontius Pilate speaking. And he said to them, you brought this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas has been thrown into prison for an ins- for, uh, had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Um, wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I will give him punished, I will have him punished, and then release him. But with loud shouts they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. What on earth is going off there? He publicly pronounces that there is no guilt in Jesus. Everything about his life has been examined and he's innocent. But he's to be crucified. Why is that? Because of fear. Because reality is we are fearful and fear sets in. It, it's, a, it's a fascinating story that the religious leaders were frightened and fearful of Jesus. The people feared the religious leaders. And Pilate feared the people. So there's this cycle of fear that winds up in Jesus being lost. Church, we, we must not be people that live by fear. 
He's arrested and condemned because of fear. Bad stuff happens because of fear. Fear always makes the possible impossible. Fear always steals and takes away. The crowd turns on Jesus because they had a fantasy, not a vision. If they'd have had a vision from God about who Jesus was and what could happen, what can be, they would have shouted for Jesus. But they had a fantasy of their own making. And so they became fearful. Church, we must not be people of a fantasy of our own making. When we have a vision for this church and all that God is doing, and we dream dreams of refurbishing next door and connecting with our community, we must have a vision given by God, not just a fantasy and wishful thinking. We've got to be a people of vision. See, the crowd turns on Jesus because they had a fantasy, not a vision. The people who give the standing ovation one day through fear drives them to a standing shouting objection the next you imagine that? you imagine the standing ovation and the next day the booze and the jeers and a call for your life? They throw away their dream for the easy option. And you see, fear does that. The vision even can be so great that fear makes us all back and we don't press into the impossible thing. We don't press through because of fear. Because we opt for the safe call. I'm going to talk about the not opting for the safe call in a minute timing. A couple of great examples. But people throw away what can be in God because it's hard now. Because there's a challenge now. Because they lose sight of what can be. We, in your church, we need a vision from God. You need a vision from God for your life. You know, whether it be your education, uh, your relationships, your employment, your transformation, what God is doing in your life, you need a vision from God for your life. We need a vision for this community of people. We can't just have a fantasy and a dream and a wishful thinking. We need God to speak to us. We need a conversation with God. So when Sue brought that word this morning, that is so powerfully important. We need a conversation with God. Otherwise, everything becomes impossible through fear. But this is what I really want to talk about this morning. Just very briefly, the inevitable, the inevitable truth. The real encounter with Jesus, who Jesus actually is. Jesus lifted to the highest place. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, you can turn to that or you can just hear this. This is what scripture says. Oh, this is, by the way, a really short sermon this morning. Are you all right with that? Or would you like me to do it? Do you want me to do the long version or the short version? Well, there's only one person shouting long this morning. I'm going to go with the loudest voice. (laughs) Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus is the king the people needed. Not the king the people wanted, he's the king the people needed. The king that God appointed. And that is astonishing. That to me is incredible. You see, we build up this picture of how God should be. We build up this picture of how church should be. We build up a picture of all these things as we want them. And we've got to surrender it to the sovereignty of the Lord. The sovereignty of the Lord. Because his favor resting over us. The inevitable truth of his victory. The inevitable truth of his victory is everything. He knows our need. And incredibly... 
the fulfillment of who we are. You know, the, thing, the fantasies will fulfill our minds and hearts, but actually the fulfillment comes through the revelation of the truth of Christ. That's where the fulfillment is, the inevitable God favor. Our journey in God can take us through the unthinkable and past the impossible and becomes the inevitable favor of God. Crowds like the quick fix and the fun. I've been whipped along in crowds before and the public voice. At the moment, we've got a whole nation that has been whipped along with different voices, with the loudest voices shouting, everybody shouts, I agree. Then somebody else shouts a little louder and everybody agrees with that. So it's causing turmoil and nobody knows where we're going except this. Somehow God has the loudest voice, even in the whisper. Even in the whisper. Our journey can take us through the unthinkable things past the impossible situations, and becomes the favor of God. People have a vanity that means we look to the immediate fix. Who here hasn't tried to fix something quick? Neil and I have got mechanical engineering backgrounds. And he will have, I know this because I've done it, similar kind of jobs in the past, same backgrounds. You come across a broken piece of machinery... And you know there's a quick fix. And you do the quick fix. And what happens the following week? You have to go back and fix it again. It's a nightmare fixing it properly. It's a hard, difficult job. But you know you will never go back again if you fix it properly. And our lives are the same. We want the quick fix. But here's the truth. Jesus says when we become Christians, we are disciples. Going to all the world and make disciples. The discipleship journey is not a quick fix. It is a journey for life. Is anybody here not breathing? You're all still breathing, aren't you? Are your hearts all still beating? Then you are still on a journey of discipleship. Until we are taken home, we are learning and growing. We are being discipled. We are becoming more Christ-like. We're not quick fixing anything. We are being transformed. See, we so often want the gain without the pain. Jesus looked beyond the vanity of success. Imagine if Jesus had had given in to the crowds cheering. There would have been no cross. There would have been no eternity. There would have been no victory. But there would have been a short and glorious reign. But then what? But Jesus saw vision and victory. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That was for you and for me. Sounds so much better than for the quick fix he copped out and became king for a while. For the joy set before him, he enjoyed the cross. The Bible says, take up your cross. In a moment, I'm going to tell you a couple of stories about people who I believe have taken up the cross. The Bible says, take up your cross. Fundamentally, what is that saying? Well, certainly one of the things it's saying is, have a vision. Have a vision for victory. Press through. It's encouragement to live our lives beyond our personal vanity and our immediate situation and enter into a vision for Christ. Your life is worth so much more than this moment in time. Your life has purpose and victory in Christ. That is what God brings to us. You, know, you understand, you know, sometimes we bobble about being Christians and attending church. But, you know, get hold of what, what the Bible, God's Word, calls us a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Chosen people, ambassadors for Christ, all of these. That's who we are in Christ. That's how he sees us. And we sit here in this small, semi-dark room in the center of Barnsley, thinking, I wish we were on holiday with all the other people. 
But here's the truth, ambassadors for Christ, that is you. That is your life. That is the thing Barbara talked about on Monday morning when you're going to work and actually with God's heart you see it differently. That is the heart of God. That's what makes a difference. Having a vision that is bigger than the vanity of just considering me. It's the difference between serving the vision for all the church or the vision serving my dream and fantasy. We don't want church to serve my fantasy. We want my heart and commitment and life and soul and vision, ministry and gifting to serve God's vision, his church, to be there. We live in fantasy, we live in fear, or we live in the inevitable favor of God. The choice is that stark, fantasy and fear, or the inevitable favor of God. Uh, Fear is broken at the cross. Jesus defeated the hold of death and Hades. Fear is broken. The Bible says if Christ sets you free, you are free indeed. He breaks fear from us. You are free in reality. When we have a vision for Christ, victory, for Christ's victory, our empty fantasies and fears are broken. We're set free to receive God's favor. Who would like God's favor over their lives? We still have to press through. God's favor was on Christ as he rode into the city with the palms waving and the crowds cheering. God's favor was on him, but he still had to endure the cross. But one person can set off a chain reaction of God's favor. One person can do that. All we do is set ourselves to overcome fear. And here are the two stories I want to tell. And how wonderful was it to have Tim and Jackie here this morning with Samuel? Because I can remember Jackie standing right where I am right now and proclaiming the goodness of God and the wholeness of God and defying every fear and defying all of logic, defying all of those things said over their child. She stood in the favor of God and proclaimed with vision, victory, the favor of God. And you know what I love? The outcome. A family. This time, not one person stood before us proclaiming God's favor, but a family stood before us in victory. And there's more victories to come and more battles to come and more journeys to go. But how amazing is that? And then I want to spend a little bit of time telling you about an adventure I have recently had yesterday. I'm not going to name any names, Naomi, so you don't need to worry. Yesterday, some of us went for a country ramble. Would the Hope Owlers or now Yorkshire Warriors like to stand if you're in the room? Are you all here? My, my T-shirt's muddy because I've not got mine on. Naomi's trying to think, I can stand if you give me a minute. <laughs> Come on, oh, we've, got, we, we've got the whole team. We, we went, we, you can sit down now, your legs need the rest. We did one of these insane mud runs yesterday, uh, all the obstacle courses through the countryside. That was the Hope Owls team, the Hope Owlers, and we had wolves and things in our shirts and got all carried away and silly. Uh, there's another member of the team, Atia. Um, he just went very, very quickly. Um, weirdly, he's probably at mosque this morning, so that's kind of all right. Uh, but those of us that are here, we're all in the team. And an amazing thing happened. We signed up for the 15-kilometer race. And we knew we were going to have fun, and we were all excited. And then the race began. The race began. We just follow this. We set off, and we're all together. And Mikey, Mikey was doing that thing just behind us. No, I'm fitter than you think. 
There was a moment when I jumped into the river that I thought was a foot deep and literally went neck deep. <laughs> and Mikey was laughing at me and as he turned around laughing, he ran face first into a tree. <laughs> that was the Lord's justice, brother. <laughs> Made me laugh anyway. But on this journey, through obstacles up and slippy mountainsides, climbing over things, under things, through things, exhausted, scratched, filthy, tired... Naomi was with us. And as we were running around, Naomi said, I'm in so much pain. Why is that? Because I forgot to take my pills for my Reynards, and my hands are white. And they were white. And my toes are the same. And I'm in physical. I get Reynards, so I know that hurts so much. So Naomi's running along behind us going, Oh, oh, because she was in so much pain. And she was freezing. There's not much of her. So she was soaking wet, having crossed the river. And then just the other side of the river, she says, because we struggled to get across the river. And she said, that was so hard because I can't swim. <laughs> All right, so you've got a physical condition and you can't swim. And we're doing a mud run, which has got a lot of rivers in it, and there are some more to come. Okay. And then a bit further, she says, really hurts. Why is that? Well, I have a breathing condition the doctors can't really put right. And I'm really struggling. And you didn't tell me about that either. <laughs> So we decided, we're doing this as a team. That's the whole point, it's a team. It's not the fastest time, it's getting the team around the course. And I've got to tell you, for me, it was the most fulfilling and joyful and amazing experience ever. I felt inspired and excited. I know that Naomi was busy going, you're slowing me down, you're slowing me down. I want to tell you, you weren't. We were going around as a team. And Mikey was so happy that you were slowing us down. <laughs> Because it meant he got to walk behind you going, I'm just going to help her along. We'd better slow down, guys. <gasps> you think I'm kidding. That was absolutely what was happening. Should have seen Mikey walk into church this morning. Looks like he got off a horse. <laughs> it was, uh... But here's the amazing thing. We're running the race, and we kept coming with these really difficult obstacles. And, and Naomi was, was freezing cold and in physical pain with her hands. She said, you can go around this one. No, I'm going over it. And she did every single obstacle. I wanted to cry. I was like, I wanted it to be my daughter. I was bursting with pride. She said, go, go, girl. And she went every time and time again, she, a river that's like deeper than she was with mud and filth and pushing and shoving. She can't swim. I didn't notice she crossed it that she couldn't swim. She got across. How inspiring is that? And I knew all the time she's thinking, you go, you go. Not a chance. I wouldn't have missed it for anything. It was amazing. And then we'd entered the 15K run. Nearly everybody had done the 10K run. And we got to a point where we could opt for the 10K run or even drop out at that point. And we're saying, it's not a problem, we can do the 10K, we can finish here, what do you want to do? And she said, and she's like, and she literally cried, you don't mind me saying this, do you? She was white, nobody alive can actually be that colour white, it's not possible. And her eyes are red and she's in pain and she's upset and she's like, still jogging along behind and she said, 10K, 15K, no, no, 15, we said 15 and set off down the 15K, there's no turning back then, 15K track. And she did it. And then we got to another point with a, this massive river cross. That was a bit, that last one was a big river crossing, wasn't it? It's like 60, 70 meters across. 
It's a big old river, that bit, isn't it? Meters. 60, 70. 60, 70 meters across. 60, 70 meters across. It's these old people that remember chain reaction, you see. Yeah, just... <laughs> she crawls through, she crosses the river, and then we take a wrong turn. We accidentally go back onto the 10 kilometer course, and in front of us is the finishing line, and it's like 100 meters away. And the guy says, 15 kilometers this way, and Naomi could have finished the race. But do you know what she did? She turned around and set off on the last bit of the 15k race. And if she'd not done that, she'd have missed Michael losing his shoes in the swampy bit. And, and digging around for his black shoes in the black mud. <laughs> but she completed the course and we crossed the line together. Throughout all the pain, through all the pressure, and I said to her, at some point, your adrenaline will kick in and you'll know you're nearly home. And you know what? Even the very last wall, just before the finishing line, she got over it, she did it, and she crossed the line. It was the most amazing experience ever. Seeing her standing watching pizza, uh, uh, eating pizza, and she was like, and her arms were shaking, she was so cold, she couldn't get in her mouth, she didn't need to chew because her jaw just went on automatic. <laughs> but Naomi, we did it. We did it as a team. And I, it was just the most amazing experience. church that's our lives that is us that is us and what was interesting to me is that I felt there were a couple of moments where I felt like I should have been thinking oh this is so frustrating I'm so annoyed I just want to get on with running and I, I do you know not at one moment did I feel like that and I just thought how does the Lord look at us running our lives with all the battles with all the challenges with all the fears with all the pains with all the mistakes with losing our shoes and falling in and being tired and being not sure which way to go and taking the wrong turns and how does the Lord look at us he shouts us on and cheers us on and the best part of that day for me was cheering that team on, was cheering Naomi on, was, was encouraging the guys to keep going, was pushing and shoving and pulling and getting through and crossing together. I've got to tell you, it was one of the best experiences of my life. Really felt so good. That is how God feels when he cheers us on. You know, the scripture talks about a great crowd of witnesses. You know, don't feel guilty in front of that crowd of witnesses know that they're cheering you on. When you take the wrong turn, they're cheering you back on path. When you feel you can't overcome, they're cheering you back on path. When you get it wrong and want to give up, they're cheering you back on path. That's the heart of God. Church, that's who we are. That's who we are. Can I have the band back up on stage, please? You see, we have to be the kind of people that say, no, I'm doing the 15K. No, I'm not stopping here. We're pressing into all that's in front of us. Because that's what the Christian life is about. Jesus entering Jerusalem on that Sunday that we celebrate, Palm Sunday, was the ultimate example. Knowing what was before him, he pressed into that time because he saw victory ahead. He saw the win. He saw you and me saved and transformed. He saw eternity. He had a vision for something bigger. There was another story in Scripture on the day of Pentecost that we'll celebrate in a few weeks' time where Peter one of the apostles, watches everybody talking about Jesus and preaching about it, and then he 
finally has the courage to stand up and declare the name of Jesus, to tell the good news story about who Jesus was. He stood up. He overcame fear. He overcame the fantasy. And he stepped into God's vision. He stepped into the reality, the inevitable favor of God. And when he did that, 3,000 people were added to their number. There's another occasion where Peter and John were going to the temple to worship. And they step into the inevitable favor of God. When somebody asks them for some finance because they're disabled and they can't move and they're stuck on the floor begging, what do Peter and John do? They take a chance. They step up. They step out and say, we've got no money to give you. But in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And they step into the inevitable favor of God and he rises up. Jesus overcame at the cross. Church, we are people that can overcome. And I want to say there are people in this room now facing situations in their lives, facing medical things, emotional things, and family things. There are financial things, educational challenges. There are questions over the security, questions over the right to stay in this country even. There are all sorts of setbacks and challenges. But what there is through all of that is the favor of God, is the favor of God that overcomes. There's a chain reaction started the moment Jesus entered that city, and it continues to this day. It continues to this day. Because Jesus had a vision for something bigger than just being the local king. Because he had a vision and a joy set before him, he endured the cross. And because of that, no matter what our situation is, we can proclaim the favor of God over it. So I just want to say to you, and I'm sorry for laboring on this with Naomi, but I'd done it before. I'd won that same race before, so I knew I could say to her, you can do this. And I know how good it feels when you finish. And Jesus can look at you and say, I have done this. I have run this race. And I know how good you're going to feel when you run this race and you complete it. He sees us winning. He sees our victory. So often we see our setbacks, so often we see our challenge, so often we see our fear. But in Christ, we can see the favor of God. And so as we, we begin this week, I want to pray and I want to encourage you all to receive the favor of God over your life, over your circumstances, over the battles, over the challenges. Jesus, in this week, we have the story of the battles and challenges and pressures and fears that he had to face, but he broke through into favor of God that was inevitable the favour is first of all being a growing member of the Lord's family the church it's where his kingdom first meets our living it's where his kingdom comes first it's where it arrives and it brings a vision beyond me or mine and my ministry it brings us a vision for a victory in Christ so church what I want to encourage you to do this morning I was going to show us a beautiful video but we've got some video problems or I've got some video problems I'm going to pray. I'm going to encourage you this week that whatever you're facing, whatever's going off, whatever good stuff, bad stuff, scary stuff, fearful stuff, fantasy stuff, we can submit it to the favor of God this morning. Because I really believe God can break through with us. I believe there can be victory for us. It's inevitable. The favor of God is inevitable, ultimately. That's how Christ endured the cross. But I want to pray a prayer of commitment. It's a prayer that we often read out and pray when people become Christians for the first time. And here's why I want to do that. Because this prayer prays the favor of God into our lives and over our lives. 
over our situations and our circumstances. And if we hold the words of this true, on Monday morning when we go into the world, we begin to see with God's heart. We begin to see God's favour in the situations we're in. We begin to see the possibilities and the vision of what God could do in that situation with your work colleagues or your neighbours, your family or friends. When you enter that world that is away from this safe place, we begin to see what God could do, the inevitable favour of God. Where God can shout on and say, you can get through this obstacle. You can get round it. You don't need to take the shortcut. You don't need to finish now. You can press through and win. You can get there. We can cross this line together because that is God's word over your life now. We can do this together. We can get there. We can win. There's a victory in Christ. So I'm going to read this prayer. Band are going to lead us in worship. Maybe that you just need to reaffirm the truth of these words over you. It may be that you're not a Christian. You've never given your life to the Lord. I've not done the appeal yet, mate. <laughs> Maybe that you've not given your life to the Lord yet. But what I want to encourage you to do. What I want to encourage you to do is I read this prayer. I just want to encourage you to perhaps pray it along with me, to echo those words in your heart and your mind, and to say amen to it. We would love you to know the goodness of God this morning. We'd love you to know what it is to become a child of God. We call it becoming a Christian, becoming a disciple. It's that place where you begin to learn about all that God has for your life. It's the place where you begin to understand the favor of God resting on your life. That no matter what the obstacle course may be, no matter what the pain may be, there is victory coming. And that victory is so, so good. Naomi, that pizza tastes so good, doesn't it? Putting the shirt on feels so amazing. There's a God victory, a God meal. There's a God shirt to wear called discipleship. So I'm going to pray. Why don't we all just stand together if we can, if you're able to. If you can't, that's fine. I'm just going to read this prayer of commitment and just ask you to make that God favor commitment in your life right now. And if you're not a Christian and you're praying this prayer, come and talk to me or somebody you've seen on stage. We would love to explain the depth and truth and amazing life, the obstacle course that is the Christian life that leads to an ultimate win, a crossing of a line. Stuff we'd love to give you and show you and help you along the way. Maybe that you're praying this and saying, one of the obstacles for me is baptism. I need to get that baptism sorted out, that obedience to Christ. We're doing baptisms next Sunday. It's, there's time to connect with us so we can baptize you next Sunday with everybody else. This is a special time. So here's the prayer. Let's just say amen together at the end of it and worship once or twice through the song. And then we're going to fellowship together and talk together, have coffees, encourage one another and help each other press through the obstacle course that we call life and to live in God's favour here's the prayer Lord Jesus I know I've done things wrong in my thoughts and my words and my actions there are so many good things I've not done there are so many wrong things I have done I'm sorry for those wrong things and turn from everything I know to be bad you gave your life for me on a cross gratefully I give my life back to you now I ask you to come into my life Come in as my saviour to clean me. Come in as my Lord to lead me. And I will serve you all the remaining days of my life. Amen.
And remember this, when we become Christians, we don't become odd. When we become Christians, we become the very creature we were always created to be. We become our true selves. And that journey to that new person, to being saved. Lord, bless you and keep you. Let's worship the Lord one last time. And then fellowship together, honor one another, encourage one another. Amen.